everybody. This is Linda Dawson. Welcome to Preparing Our Hearts for Worship podcast. Well, hello there, Linda. What song you got for us today? Today we have a great song from our past that is so special to our heritage. Rock of Ages is a Christian hymn written by Augustus Toplady with music by Thomas Hastings. This very personal hymn uses pronouns such as I and me rather than we and our focusing on individual salvation. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin, the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's commands. Could my zeal no respite know could my tears forever flow? All for sin cannot atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, I to thee fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, when mine eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Augustus Toplady, the writer of Rock of Ages, was born in England in 1740 and died there from tuberculosis in 1778. Augustus Toplady was an interesting mix of faith and human frailty. After his father died in military service when he was a baby, his mother raised him. As a child, Top Lady was fragile and sickly, and his mother doted on him. He was also bright and apparently focused on his future. Top Lady had an interest in religion during his younger years and showed this in spiritual journals and moralistic behavior. However, it wasn't until his 15th year, while attending a Methodist revival in an Irish barn, that he felt brought nigh to God. Having been converted under Methodism, Topley initially aimed to become a Methodist minister. This changed, however, when he began to consider more closely the distinctions between Arminianism and Calvinism. The Methodist movement was decidedly Armenian, and Toplady, as an offspring of that movement, initially adopted that understanding. But after he studied the 39 Articles of the Church of England, he became convinced of the Calvinistic perspective, and thus became a minister in the Church of England. At the age of 22, he was ordained into the Church of England. The issue of Calvinism versus Arminianism was a hot topic in the church in those days. And for the remainder of his life, Top Lady would write and debate on the subject, arguing at length and at times viciously for the doctrine of election. Top Lady was a staunch Calvinist, a believer in a branch of Protestantism faith that viewed a person's relationship to God as one of doctrine and power. People could do nothing to save themselves without God's intervention. According to many sources, Top Lady is serious and vocal in his belief. 
He argued bitterly with John Wesley, a noted religious contemporary, who promoted a different branch of Protestant faith. His followers organized the Wesley and Church in which people could cultivate a personal relationship with God. Calvinists and Wesleyans viewed Protestantism in very different ways, and Top Lady made it a personal argument. He once mocked Wesley as a tadpole in divinity. Such strife and disagreement seem an unlikely backdrop for a religious hymn. Legend says that Top Lady wrote the hymn during a stormy incident in England while traveling along a gorge in Burrington Combe. He was caught in a fist storm and took shelter in the gap in the gorge where he wrote the original lyrics. Some disagree on whether the event actually occurred. Nevertheless, the rock is marked with a plaque that reads Rock of Age. This rock derives its name from the well-known hymn written about 1762 by Reverend A.M. Toplady, who was inspired with sheltering in the cliff during a storm. The first four lines for the first version of the first verse were published in the Gospel Magazine in October 1775. The first publication in full was the following spring in the March 1776 edition of the Gospel Magazine with a revised first verse plus three more verses. A slightly further revised version was published that summer in July of 1776 in Top Larry's hymnal, Psalms and Hymns for Public and Private Worship. The text of this hymn has been substantially edited since its publication by different denominations over the years creating a number of versions of this hymn used by different churches around the world. An example of an edit made to Top Lady's text is When My Eyes Shall Close in Death was originally written as When My Eyes Stings Breath in Death. Notwithstanding the bitter pamphlet war between Augustus Top Lady and John Wesley over the correctness of Calvinist Reformed theology versus Armenian theology, there has been speculation by some that although Top Lady was a Calvinist, the edited version of the words, Be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure, suggests he agreed with the teachings of the Methodist preacher under whom he received his religious conversion and of his contemporary John Wesley, who taught the double cure in which a sinner is saved by the atonement of Jesus and cleansed from inbred sin by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. However, Top Lady's own published 1776 hymn text, the version now referred to as an alternative, contains a variant difference from Wesley's teachings and reads, Be of sin the double cure, save me from its guilt and power. In the Dictionary of Hymnology, John Julian cites the 1775 article, Life, a Journey, in which Top Lady first published the first stanza of Rock of Ages. The following paragraph preceded the first stanza in the hymn. Yes, if you fall, be humbled, but not, do not despair. Pray afresh to God 
who is able to raise you up and set you on your feet again. Look to the blood of, a, of the covenant and say to the Lord from the depths of your heart. The complete hymn appeared a year later in the Gospel magazine as a living and dying prayer for the holiest believer in the world. According to hymnologist Albert Bailey, the climax of the article intended to show that as England could never pay her national debt, so man could never liquidate his sin account. In the prayer, Top Lady uses Rock of Ages as an endearing term for God. Christ's blood from his death and forgiveness of our sins is the theme in the stanza one. Stanza two focuses on the idea that we could never repay for that sacrifice. Baptism is the theme of stanza three and stanza four climaxes with the ecological focus asking for mercy as we face death. Scripture references are all paraphrases. He cites Exodus 33:22, for instance, When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. In Psalms 18:2, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield in the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. British hymnologist J.R. Watson suggests that perhaps the hymn owes the most to 1 Corinthians 10.4. For they drink of the spiritual rock that flowed, that followed him, and that rock was Christ. One of the paradoxes of the hymn is that Toplady may have barred the opening from his theological nemesis, Charles Wesley. The image of the rock common in hymns and scripture used by Wesley in one of his hymns on the Lord's Supper, published 30 years earlier. Though Wesley's hymn goes into different direction, it begins, Rock of Israel, cleft for me. Even when we may feel like we are all alone, remember that God is always by our side and will never abandon us. He is truly our light in the dark and our rock that we can stand upon always. What an amazing feeling to be loved by such a kind Father, and to give praise to His name with the beautiful hymn, Rock of Ages. Hearing the story behind the hymn made this classic song even more powerful. What a way to worship! Despite being converted under Methodist evangelist while attending University of Dublin, the Calvinist top lady rejected Charles and John Wesleyan's theology and waged a running battle with them th through tracts, sermons, and even hymns. He later softened his stance a little, and two years before he died of tuberculosis and overwork at the age of 38, Top Lady published his own hymnal, in which the classic hymn and Charles Wesleyan's Jesus, Lover of My Soul, were placed side by side. The hymn was a favorite of Prince Albert, who asked that it be played to him at his deathbed, as did Confederate General J.B. Stewart. Rock of Ages was written by Reverend Augustus Toplady in 1763, which means it has been a blessing to Christians for over 250 years. 
This includes English missionary Daniel Draper, who spent 30 years planting churches and schools in Australia during the 19th century. The story goes Daniel Daper, an English Methodist, spent 30 years planting churches in schools in Australia. Then he took a year's furlough in England. When, at the, when, at the, when the time came to return to Australia, he boarded the steamship for London. A gale hit the ship at the Bay of Briscoe, and Draper spent the last hours evangelizing the 250 passengers. At the end, only three passengers were rescued, and one of them reported that Daper's last words were, Those of you who are not converted now is the time, not a minute to be lost. As the ship slipped beneath the sea, January 11, 1866, the passengers were singing Augustus Top Lady's famous hymn, Rock of Ages, in their final moments. Top Lady wrote a number of hymns in his life, but Rock of Ages is by far his most famous. The hymn is indeed a blessing. For generation, it has remained a solid testimony to the powerful sacrifice of our Savior and a great encouragement to saints around the world. Okay, Glenda, let's change gears and talk about heaven. Okay, Glenn. Question, in what sense will believers be judged in heaven? All believers will be judged in heaven. All righteous acts of many will have discarded, and some punished on death will finally be rewarded. All believers will stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. The result of this judgment will be the gain or loss of eternal rewards. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12-15, it says, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And in Second Corinthians 5, 9 and 10, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in the body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Then finally, in Romans fourteen, ten to 12 But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set a naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess to God. So then every one shall give account of himself to God. Glenn, aren't these sometimes depicted as crowns? Yes, James one twelve says, Blessed, blessed the man that endureth temptation, 
for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised him that love him. And in Revelation 2.10, Fear not the things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you may have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Then in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-25, it says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are incorruptible. Yes, it says in First Peter 5, 1-4, The elders are among you, and I exhort, whom am also an elder, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which among you, which is among you, taking them oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lure, but for ready mind, neither being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a clown, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. In Second Timothy 4, 6-8, we read, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Then in Thessalonians 2.19 we see, for, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord at his Christ as his come, at his coming? Do these represent positions of leadership and service for Christ in his kingdom? Well, Matthew 25:21 says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Luke 19:17, And he said unto him, well, thy good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. Revelation 26, blessed, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on second, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. The Bible treats this judgment of believers with great sobriety. It is not a meaningless formality, but a monumental event in which things of eternal consequence are put into effect. Jesus says to Christians, I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Yes, in Revelation 20, 
uh, Revelations 2.23, he said, I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. And then in Mark 9.41, there's a proper time for the harvest, a time that normally follows our life on earth, let us not become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap the harvest if we don't give up. Galatians 6, 9 says the Christian's works done for God's glory will have eternal significance of those who die in Christ. God says their deeds will follow them. Revelation fourteen thirteen tells us our reward in heaven, heaven will link us eternally to our service for Christ on earth. There's a radical change of our location, but con but continually between our lives of here and there. Heaven marks the beginning of an eternal venture, but the end of, of earth's window of opportunity. One moment after we die, we'll know exactly how we should have lived but there will be no more second chances. As there will be no more opportunity for the unbeliever to go back and live his life again, and this time put his faith in Christ, so there will be no opportunity for the believer to go back and relive his life. This time for Christ, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Will we know everything in heaven? We'll see clearly there for Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we see through glasses darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I also I am known, but won't know everything. If we knew everything, we'd be God. To see clearly and see with a greater understanding is one thing. To see omnisciently is another. God alone is the creator. We are mere creatures. Only God is omniscient. We are always and will be finite. The popular notion will know everything in heaven, is therefore clearly wrong. When we go to heaven, we'll become glorified humans. We don't become God. The angels in heaven don't know everything, as we see in Mark thirteen thirty-two. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but only the Father. Neither will we. Will we continue to change, grow, and learn once we get to heaven? In keeping with our finite natures, we will experience process in heaven. We will continually learn more of God in the coming ages, as we see in Ephesians 2, 7, that in the ages to come he might shew the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Angels, also finite, strive to grow in their understanding. First Peter one twelve says, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things 
which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So presumably will we. As we learn more of God, it seems likely that we'll learn more of other people, angels, and the wonders of God's creation. The sense of wonder among heaven's inhabitants shows heavens not to be stagnant, but fresh, stimulating, suggesting an ever-deepening appreciation of God's greatness. We get our glorious, we get a glorious picture in Revelations 4 and 5. Heaven will always be learning and discovering. Will time no longer exist in heaven? Whether or not heaven operates outside the scope of Earth's time sequence, clearly the inhabitants of heaven track the events happening in time, as we can see clearly in Revelations 2, 3, and then again in Luke 9, 23. And he said to them, If any man will come after me, let him self deny himself and take up the cross daily and follow me. It is a hymn, not the Bible, which says, And time shall be no more. Yes, Revelation 8.1 speaks of a silence in heaven for about half an hour. Even in the presence of music in heaven implies some sort of time duration since meter, tempo, and rests, which all are intrinsic to music, are all time-related. Second Peter 3.8 says, With the Lord... It does not say, with believers in heaven. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. This is rooted in the fact of God's infinity. He exists outside of time and space, but there is no indication his creatures do. Whether there is time in heaven or not, heaven seems to enter into the sequences on earth, right down to rejoicing over anticipating specific events here. Luke fifteen seven says, I say to you that likewise joy shall be in heaven for one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. And again in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held. And they cried in a loud, with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto them, and, and he said unto them, That they should rest a little while for a season, until their fellow servants also, their brethren, should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. The entire book of Revelation shows a continuous interaction of heaven with the sequential events happening on earth. This contradicts the notion that those in heaven are alienated from or disinterested in what happens on earth. So time holds an important place in heaven, so that's our discussion about heaven for this week. Next week and the weeks to come, we'll be answering some uh, questions like these. 
Once in heaven, will people know and recognize those they knew on earth? In heaven, will we have our own places to live? Will there be privacy in heaven? Will there be private ownership in heaven? Do people in heaven remember what happened on earth? Do people in heaven know what's presently happening on earth? Do people in heaven pray for those on earth? And on the other side of the coin, what will hell be like? We've talked about the history of the great, this great old song, and we've looked at some of what heaven will be like. If you died right now, where would you go? Are you ready for this judgment? Does something inside you fear death? Is God convicting you of the sin in your life? Do you feel helpless? Turn from your sins. Repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Trust Him today for your eternal salvation. Now, Glenn, how about you play Rock of Ages on the tenor saxophone? That's such a great old standard. Close your eyes, unless you're driving, and let's let your heart drift with me to the days that we sang this wonderful old song.
always enjoy having you here with us on a Preparing Our Hearts for Worship podcast. Today is no exception. We always look at the old-time hymns, the authors, and events related to the writing of their songs. We hope you have been informed and enjoyed yourselves. Our music has been distributed to the web, and you can hear it by searching the web for the music of Glenn Dawson. On some of our services, you can punch the like button, and we appreciate that because it helps our ministry and it keeps us going. Our program is a part of the Glenn Dawson Evangelistic Association, and it's a nonprofit organization dedicated to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. We enjoy hearing from you folks, and you can write us on the platform you're hearing us on, or you can go to our webpage, which is under construction at the moment, so caution as you move around, and our webpage name is glendawsonea.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-D-A-W-S-O-N-E-A.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week on Preparing Our Hearts for Worship. God God be be with with you. you. Bye Bye for for now. now.